isn't the reality of a crucified, risen, and ascended saving king just an awesome thing? That's what we just sang about. I don't know if you'd recognize it or not, but that, that song we just sang was just full of the Bible. And, and it's good to sing songs that get the Bible down into our hearts because the Bible reveals to us who God is. And our great need in life is to know God and to delight in Him and to glorify Him and to exalt Him. That's, that's the great need of our souls. Nothing else satisfies other than that. And so this morning, uh, if you're new to North Roanoke, and I see several of you who, who I think are new to North Roanoke, you need to know that in general we just work our way through books of the Bible and we find ourselves in the book of Hebrews and the overall sermon series I've titled Jesus is Better because the whole world is looking for a Savior and there's no other Savior like Jesus. Not, none can even come close. And the author of Hebrews is writing to a church that is tempted to try and just run back to the Old Testament and ignore Jesus in the New Covenant because it's becoming costly to follow Jesus. Did you know it's going to cost you something to follow Jesus in this world? Minimally, it'll cost you somebody mocking you or making fun of you or something like that. But, but increasingly, even in our own country, it's costing people jobs, uh, career choices uh, for following Jesus. And, and we ought not be surprised by that, but we also ought not retreat from Christ because Christ is better than any other Savior and He is raised and He raises up all of those forever who trust in Him. No other Savior can do that. And this morning, we find ourselves in the middle of the longest section of the book of Hebrews, which is arguing that Jesus is God's forever and perfect high priest. And if he's the perfect high priest, you can't look for one who's better because he's perfect. And if he's the forever high priest, you shouldn't look, run back to some old covenant priest because Jesus is God's appointed forever high priest. And he, he begins to make that argument on the basis of a character we find in the Old Testament named Melchizedek. And he wants us to he wants to go really deep into the life of Melchizedek so that we can understand and appreciate who Jesus is, but he stops himself in verse 11, which is where we break in today, verse 11 of chapter 5. And the reason that he stops himself is because he can't yet explain to them what he wants to explain to them because he's afraid they won't understand it. And he's afraid they won't understand it, not because the content is too difficult, but because they just don't care all that much. I want to tell you something amazing about Jesus this morning is essentially what he's saying, but I'm not sure you care. So he interrupts his argument, quite frankly, to chastise them, to rebuke them, not just to be mean, right, but to wake them up. And so if you're new this morning, just know that I, I don't always rebuke and chastise, but, but that when that's what the Bible does, that's what I do. So are y'all ready? Yeah, y'all ready to hang on? You, you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Verse 11, chapter 5 through verse 14 of chapter 5. Concerning him, Melchizedek, with respect to Jesus, concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though this, by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. 
For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Would you bow with me? Lord, help us, help us, help us. God, not to harden our hearts before we even hear from you this morning. God, help us not to think that this passage of Scripture is for the person seated to our right or to our left or behind us or in front of us. God, help us to think that this passage might be for us. God, help help us to hear from heaven today about the need to grow up. I beg of you, Jesus, help us for your glory. And in Christ's name, amen. The older I get, the less I recall from my childhood. There are, however, a few moments along the way that I'll never forget. I guess one of the first was I was, I don't know, six or seven years old, and I was having growing pains. Did any of you have growing pains growing up? Or some of you might be too old to even remember the growing pains, and that's okay. But I still remember the growing pains. One night, I was about six o'clock, and uh, I kept my parents up all night long. Just moaning, crying, whimpering. And, and my mom, I think, I'm pretty sure, I'm like 98% sure it was a Saturday night because everything bad, my dad's a, a retired pastor, everything bad that could happen in life happens in a pastor's home on Saturday. 100% of the time without fail, okay? So my mom is in there like, shh, you gotta be, are you okay? And she's like, you know, being a good mom and rubbing my knee and all this stuff and I just, as soon as she leaves, I, I start whimpering and whining all over again. And finally, my dad is probably three or four o'clock in the morning. He walks in and he says, son, if your pain is that bad, we are headed to the hospital because that's what a grown-up would do. And I thought to myself, must not be that bad. My dad goes to the hospital. It's almost never good. So I'm just going to crawl back in my bed and it doesn't matter how bad it hurts. I'm not saying another word. <laughs> I'm not ready to be a grown-up, and being a grown-up means I go to the hospital for pain. So I went back to bed that night, and I didn't grow up. Uh, the author of Hebrews is telling the church, it's time to grow up. He interrupts his argument to say, I'm not sure you are mature enough to pay attention or even care about what I want to tell you, and that's a real concern. And the reason that's a real concern is because real Christians are not content to stay in the baby pool with their water wings on. They want to learn how to jump in the deep end and swim. They want to swim in the deep things of God as soon as they can. They want to explore and understand and appropriate the whole counsel of God's truth in their lives. And if you don't want to do that, that's a warning sign. So on your bulletin and on your notes, it says pursue maturity. But if I was really going to accurately title this sermon, it would be something like, Grow up already! All of us have had moments in life where we realized we needed to grow up. Maybe it was your freshman year of college when you had aced everything in high school and then suddenly you had to study to pass an exam. Have you grown up in the Lord? Do you want to grow up as a believer? you want to be a mature man or woman of God? If you want to be mature in Christ, there's three things that we see in this text. First, We must not remain sluggish or lazy or dull in our hearing. Interestingly, that word hearing in verse 11 is actually plural. 
hearings. We've got to keep on hearing the Word of God. You can't just hear it once. You've got to keep hearing about how great God is your whole life. Secondly, we must recognize the signs of spiritual infancy. And thirdly, our instincts must be forged by the solid food of the Word of Righteousness. First, we can't be sluggish in our hearing of God's Word. In verse 11, the author interrupts his argument because it is hard to explain because the church has let the cares of the world and the cost of following Jesus rob them, steal from them their desire for God's Word. They're so busy with their own lives, they're so distracted by the tyranny of the urgent that they are not taking their minds and their hearts to the Word of God. The church does not have that spiritual intensity and passion for God's Word that is required to become mature in the faith. It isn't just intellect. To understand God's Word, you've got to have a passion for knowing God. Because the point of the Word of God is to reveal God to us. So he tells us that he has much to say, verse 11, about Jesus, but the church just doesn't really care that much. It's not that they can't hear, by the way. It's that they're dull or sluggish of hearing. They don't have their hearing aids on. They no longer have the spiritual energy or the interest necessary to explore and, uh, and comprehend or understand the deep truths of God. It's football season. It's playoff time. And, and if, we, if we could assess the way the church is hearing, we might say they're a bit like a husband whose team made the Super Bowl and they're down by three with one minute to play in the Super Bowl, and they're driving in the red zone, and their wife asked them a question. He didn't hear it. And the author of Hebrews is saying, that's what a lot of churches are like. God has shown you Himself and His Word, and you just really are pretty casual in your interest of what God has said about Himself. The church is dull of hearing. They only want the spiritual depth that can be conveyed in a tweet or a Facebook post, post or a page of sentimentality or a quick verse or a devotional in the morning, but they have little interest in feasting on Christ through direct and consistent engagement with the Word of God, and the author rebukes them for it. Not just because he likes rebuking people. He's not sadistic. He wants to wake them up. It's a warning to wake them up. Now you might say, wait a minute, is, is it really that big a deal that I hear the Word of God? Now, now you got to know the word hear is more than just hearing with the ears. In the Bible, the word hearing sort of encapsulates the doing as well. In fact, sometimes the Bible uses the word hearing to be the word obedience. So it's, it's to hear and to apply ourselves to the Word of God. Is that, is that a big deal? Absolutely, it's a big deal. I've heard Christians say, well, just the Bible's just not my jam. What are you talking about? Where else are you going to learn about who God is? Well, I listen to Christian radio. Did you know there's a lot of stuff on Christian radio that I'm like, ah, I'm not so sure about that. How do I know that? Because I'm mining the depths of the Word of God. Well, you know, I just like serving people, or I just like doing the work. I, I'm just not a Bible person, or I don't read very well. Fortunately, it doesn't say the reading of the Word of God. It says the hearing of the Word of God. And I preach the Word here every Sunday. You can podcast it. There's, there's a lot of good doctrinally sound preachers out there that you can listen to. You can go to small groups and hear other people read the Word of God. And if you really want to know God, at some point, you're going to want to learn how to read better. I, didn't, I couldn't stand reading growing up. 
I wanted to be outside playing, but at some point, God got a hold of my heart, and I was like, I want to I know God, and if I want to know God, i got to get in the Word of God. There's no other way. Hebrews shows us that spiritual growth and biblical indifference are irreconcilably incompatible. You say, that's a lot of words, Pastor. I don't know what that means. You can't grow in Christ and ignore God's Word. It is impossible. There's no other way around it. Moeller says this, believers have a moral responsibility to know and understand the Bible. Maturing in the Christian life can't happen apart from hearing and heeding the Word of God. It's true in our church, and it's true in our marriages, it's true in our families, it's true in our individual lives. The fuel of the growth in Christian living is the Word of God. The Spirit wrote the Word, you feed the Spirit the Word by taking it in, and the Spirit grows you up into the image of Christ. No aspect, no aspect of a Christian's life falls outside the authority and the need of the Word of God. Nothing in your life falls outside the authority of God's Word. Every significant decision you face in life and, in a, and, a, and as a church, we should ask this question. What does God... This is a good question to write down, by the way, if you take notes. I, I'm not a big note taker. I, I like to listen. But if you're a note taker, here's a question for your life. Whenever you face a significant decision in life, what does God's Word say or imply that I should do or pray or believe or pursue right now? And I just don't know what to do. Well, what does God's Word say about it? What does it say about who God is? What is, and, and as it reveals to me who God is, what ought I do? Or believe, or pray, or affirm, or say. To honor Christ, we've got to always heed and hear the Word of God. If we don't want to do that, we're either saying the Bible's not sufficient, or it doesn't have authority in my life. If you don't want to listen to the Word of God, you're saying it, it's not enough, I need some other information to know who God is, the Bible is not comprehensive enough for me. I need some other thing over here. I've got to go to Lifeway. Did you know you could live your whole Christian life and grow in Christ without Lifeway? <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. There's great resources that have been written to help you understand the Word of God. But in the first church, all they had was the Bible. And they just gossiped the gospel to one another wherever they went. And they, they grew like gangbusters. Do you all say that anymore? Gangbusters? I got that from my dad. I don't even know what that means. I mean, what is gangbusters? But anyway, um, they, so the Bible is sufficient. If all you had was the Bible and the hearing of God's Word based on the Bible, you're going to be all right. But a lot of times we say, well, the Bible's not enough. I need something else because I, quite frankly, here's the other problem, don't really want to listen to what the Bible says. So if I could find some other source that uses Christian gobbledygook, but is really just pop psychology masked as Christianity, and I can follow that instead of what God's Word says, then I'll be okay. Because a lot of people don't want the authority of God's Word in their life. See, the Bible is sufficient, and if it's sufficient, then you've got to do what the Bible says. But a lot of people want to say, well, I believe, I know what the Bible says, but I learned in my college psychology class this other thing, and what about yada, 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 yada. Baloney. The Bible is sufficient and it's authoritative for every significant moment in your life. And if you want to know the power of God in your life and you want to know who God is and you want to be flooded and overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit of God and 
filled up to the overflowing with the presence of God and the goodness of God, you can't neglect the Word of God. One, one author said this, the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes God puts His power in the Bible. Everybody's looking for a program or a breakfast or a lunch or a whatever or a technique They're looking anywhere they can except where God put His power and it's in His Word. Heard, believed, preached, proclaimed. power of God is in the Word. So in verse 11, are y'all here this morning? I'm sorry, it's going to be a little longer than usual. I promise I usually am going to try to keep it tight, 30 minutes. But church, we need this. The church of Christ needs this sermon. We are so distracted by so many things, and God sent us a letter telling us who He is and how we can know Him, and if we got, we got 50 copies of this, we got it on our phone, and we don't pay attention to it, and we don't meditate on the sermon throughout the week, and we don't go to a Sunday school class, and we don't get it on a Wednesday night class, and we say, I don't know why, I just don't have the power of God in my life, well, here's why. Nobody's paying attention to the Bible anymore. All right, that was not in the notes, but. So the, er, the, the, the author gives us a diagnosis. You're dull of hearing, you're lazy, you're sluggish, you don't want to hear about God, and that's a problem. It's a warning sign. And then in verses 12 and 13, he gives us the, the symptoms or the signs of spiritual infancy or being a spiritual baby at best. And he says, he shows us in verses 12 and 13. We've got to recognize the signs of spiritual infancy. In in these verses, we learn that believers are supposed to grow up or become mature in Christ, but they can't become mature if they fail to grow in and know the truth of God. You see that in verse 12? They ought to be teachers, but they're babies. The phrase, ought to be teachers, does not mean all of you have to become pastors. Thank Jesus for that, right? It's not always easy. I wouldn't wish on you, any of you, right? Go be a pastor. But God says you ought to be teachers. Now, that, that doesn't mean you've got to be pastors. We know that because James 3.1 says, Let not many of you be teachers, knowing that we will incur a stricter judgment. So it's not talking about the formal office of the pastor, the teacher, or the elder. He's, just saying, he's not saying everybody needs to go to seminary. But he is saying this. Everyone who is a believer in Christ has a responsibility to be able to share the gospel, defend the gospel, and train others in the gospel. doesn't mean you've got to be able to take them as far as the pastor can, but you should know how to do that, which means our job as a church is to equip anyone who trusts in Christ to be able to share, defend, and declare the gospel. If we're not doing that, we're not a church. We're a club. Well, we've got fun activities for the kids. The youth had fun. We had 50 show up for pizza. Big deal if you didn't train anybody in the gospel. We should all be able to recognize the world's bogus arguments that are anti-gospel and anti-Christ and teach others the fundamentals of the faith. We should not assume that because spiritual growth occurs over a lifetime that it is okay to be a baby for most of our lives. And I think that's what's going on in the church today. Well, as long as I got in, as long as I put my toe in the pool and I say that I believe in Jesus, I don't really need to go to church. I don't really need to be around other Christians. I don't really need to hear the word of God all that often. I'll be okay. But when would we say that? When else would we say that in life? 
If somebody lives to be 85 years of age, how long are they an infant? 1.2% of their life. You don't want to stay an infant very long. If you have a baby and they stay an infant past a year, there's a problem. Spiritual infancy, like physical infancy, is supposed to be short-lived. You don't want to have to get up for 3 a.m. feedings till they're 5 or 6 or 7 or 10 or 12 or 20 years old. But some of you, the author of Hebrews is saying, still need to be fed at 3 o'clock in the morning. And all you can get is milk because you don't want to hear the Word of God. Think about kids. My daughter's 12. She's right here. I promise I'm going to be nice to you. But you know what kids want to do when they're 12? They want to grow up. Man, Daddy, I can't wait till I'm a teenager. It's going to be so much better when I'm 13. You're going to let me do stuff that you don't let me do when I'm 12. And then once they're 13, Daddy, I can't wait till I'm 16 and I can drive a car. And then once they can drive a car, Daddy, I, I can't wait till I can vote. And then after they're 18 and they can vote, Daddy, I can't wait until I'm 21 and I can walk into a bar and order a Coke and have a testimony. that's the heart of a maturing believer maturing believer says I can't wait to learn more about my God who saved me you see Christians who are growing don't just have a testimony about how God saved them 20 years ago. They have a testimony about what they learned about God yesterday morning. I'm grateful for the day God saved you, but I also, if you're a maturing believer in Christ, what did God show you last week? What did He show you about being a husband or a father or a wife or a daughter that is impacting you right now? We should keep having a testimony of how God is showing us Himself. Church, we can't make fully devoted followers of Jesus without an unshakable commitment to getting God's truth into the hearts and minds of you Christians so that they can then become teachers of others. I've, I've even heard Christians say, well, we don't want to get too bogged down with the Bible stuff. But the Bible does not bog the church down. All it does is build the church up. When we hear the Word of God, God uses His Word to put into us a hunger for Him more and more and more. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness, for they are the ones who are going to be filled. Getting the fundamentals of the gospel into the minds and hearts of Christians is not just a good idea, it is God's idea. And to treat it as optional is to dishonor Christ and to put lives eternally at risk. The author of Hebrews assumes every Christian has a responsibility to grow. To grow in godliness so that the congregation as a whole is better equipped to faithfully minister the gospel to those in need. Church, we shouldn't be surprised that 80 plus percent of millennials who once attended church are leaving it behind. Because in many churches, other than pizza, donuts, and occasional spiritual milk, they didn't get fed anything. 
And when that's all you feed to students who are capable of learning geometry, trigonometry, calculus, and literature, and you say, well, I don't want to run them off with the Bible, you have sold them short. You have sold them short. And the generation before the millennials and the generation before them, we were, our message was Christianity is fun. Well, there's a lot of things that are fun. Christianity isn't just fun. It's fundamentally the only way you can know God. And the only way you can do that is if you get acquainted with and dive into the Word of God. You don't get a generation of giants able to teach God's Word by withholding from them God's Word. So if you're content to remain an infant, that's a problem. In fact, next week we're going to see that it even calls into question whether or not you know God at all because infants that fail to grow up and stay infants, they don't just stay infants, they die. To make disciples spiritual infants who trust Jesus need two things. They need a community of mature believers Excuse me, to do two things, to feed them God's word and then to show them what it looks like to live out God's word. The church in Hebrews should be full of disciples by now who are making disciples, but the author instead fears that they are just spiritual babies. Do you see that? He says they need to be taught again. Verse 12. It's not that they were never taught, but they need to be taught again. The elementary principles of the oracles of God. Elementary principles means the overall storyline of the Bible, the basics of of the gospel. They need to relearn the old stories of the Old Testament and how they point to Jesus. They need the ABCs and the one, two, threes of the gospel all over again. Why in the world couldn't they remember their gospel alphabet? The reason they couldn't remember their gospel alphabet is because the basics are meant to be used to go deeper. Why do you teach your kids the alphabet so they can form words? Why do you teach them how to form words so they can under, read and understand and compose sentences? Why do you teach them numbers so one day, if God wants them to be a little engineer studying at the greatest secular university in the world, Virginia Tech, that they'll be able to process and do engineering? If you don't use the fundamentals to do more than the fundamentals, you lose the fundamentals. The reason we know our alphabet and our numbers today is not because we keep singing A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's because we write sentences. We read sentences. The same is true spiritually. You use it or you lose it. When we neglect to go deeper into knowing our God by hearing the Word of God, then we regress. We lose what's we, what we once had. And all we can handle is spiritual milk, which means we are never able to acquire a taste or an appetite for the Word of righteousness, as it says there in Hebrews chapter 5. The word of righteousness means the word pertaining to God's righteousness. It's the word revealed by God about God's righteousness, which we need but cannot have unless He gives it to us through Jesus. And praise God, the author of the book of Hebrews is not just giving them a rebuke, He's also showing them the way to maturity. He's not just saying, I'm afraid that you can't eat solid food. He's also saying the way to be mature is to dive wholeheartedly into the gospel, to delight in hearing and knowing that we can do nothing apart from him and to appreciate all that we have in him. So don't misunderstand, okay? You say, well, I just trusted Jesus last week and I, I, I'm on the milk. Praise God for that. 
it's okay. We're, we're going to take you from milk to increasingly introducing solid food so you can sleep through the night. <laughs> Praise God. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna help you on your way to maturity. I'm not saying that you should never drink milk. In fact, even those of us who are maturing in Christ, we still delight in the milk. I mean, the milkshake's good from time to time. But if all you have is milk, you're not going to grow up. If you've got a 5, 10, 15, or 50-year-old who still needs 3 a.m. feedings of milk, that's a problem. Because for him to grow, he's got to have solid food. And, and what I don't want for you is to be content to stay a baby. Because the author of Hebrews is saying if, if you're content to just stay a baby, then you're going to end up in apostasy and death and you might not actually be saved at all. So what are some warning signs that we might need to grow up in our readiness, our attentiveness to hear the Word of God? Number one, you're content with what you already know. Man, I, I got that. I mean, I heard that sermon. I heard that same sermon last year. I already knew all that stuff. I didn't learn anything today. I, I, I'm good. I got it. Number two, you think the Bible's boring. How, how, how is the book that the, that the God who loves you wrote and reveals Him to you, how is it boring? Number three, you accept the excuses of the flesh for why you can't go deeper into the things of God. You say, what do you mean? Well, I can't memorize, Pastor. Do you know your phone number? Do you know your address? You know the color of your car, the type of car you drive? You remember your mom's birthday? You can memorize the Word of God. It takes meditation, it takes intensity, it takes deliberate effort, it takes repetition, but you can memorize key verses throughout the Word of God. You can do it. Every single one of us can do it. Well, I just don't want to hear too much about the Word of God because the office is always talking about that, the latest show on TV. And i got to know the latest show on TV to be cool at the office and be accepted at the office. Just go in there and talk about how great God is and what you've been learning about Him. Who cares what they think of you? Stop, stop trying to be culturally relevant everywhere you go and just be God's person and delight in Him and watch what God does in your life. You're more interested, here's another warning sign, you're more interested and committed to your child's academic or sports success than their growth in Christ. I have heard parents tell me, man, I don't want to drag my kid to church because they end up, they'll end up not liking it. Have you ever made that argument for them going to school? Man, I just don't want to, I don't want to make my kid go to English class. You know, because he might actually be able to get into college and get a job one day and have a life. I mean, don't use that argument. That's the craziest, please, don't use that argument. And finally, here's one that, that, that is near and dear to my heart. You might think that a church has to choose between either going deep into the things of God or reaching lost people. Now, many of you have probably never thought about this, but it is a rampant argument in culture, in church life. People want you to be one or the other. Man, he's a, he's a deep pastor. He really loves the Word of God, and he likes to explain the Word of God, and that's great. And they've got a bunch of adults around there who are just mature and growing in Christ. But he just doesn't care about lost people because he cares about the Bible. 
Or you've got past men, all, they're in the community all over, they just care about winning people to Jesus, but every sermon, they're not walking through books of the Bible, they're not explaining the Bible. It does not have to be, and it should not be either or. You should have, if you know Christ, you should have a passion and a desire to go deep into the things of God. And if you have a passion and desire to go deep into the heart of God, who sent His Son to rescue people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, then you should have a passion to tell people about the great God that saved you. They go together, they're not separate, and whoever started the idea that you've either got to care about evangelism or discipleship, I don't know who it was, but it was probably more likely Satan than anyone else. I'm, and I know, most of you are like, what are you talking about? It's, it's like an argument out there in the church world, and I'm just sick of it. I want to do both. Because it takes both to make a disciple of Jesus. If you got a bunch of babies that get saved into a church that only has babies, then who's going to help the babies grow up? We've got to be vigilantly countercultural when it comes to hearing and heeding the Word of God. We live at a time when failure to launch is an accepted reality, but we must not accept it. It's not okay that we've got 30-year-olds living in their mama's basement playing video games all day. And the church is accepted that with respect to how we care about the Word of God. Well, I'll just, I'll care about Jesus's, I'll care about knowing Jesus through His Word one day. The author rebukes the church for not being accustomed to the Word of righteousness in verse 13. What are you accustomed to in your life? What defines your thought life? What defines who you are, your ambitions, your affections, your attention? The way we get spiritual maturity and stop being babies is we let the Word of God consume us and become what we're accustomed to. We have a responsibility in our homes, in our church, to make the learning and the hearing and the digesting of the Word of God customary, regular, intentional, expected, and desired. And we're going to do that and continue to do that at North Roanoke Baptist Church. We're going to get the Word of God into the hearts and the minds and the lives of people as soon as we can. And as often as we can. Finally, we need to apply ourselves to spiritual maturity. Our instincts must be forged by the solid food of the Word of righteousness. Verse 14 shows us the remedy to spiritual laziness and stunted growth is to get on to solid food. So many of us are running into the gas station and getting a spiritual Slim Jim, but Jesus has given us Ruth's Chris. If we'll just dive in and get the rare meat of God's Word and feast on Him, and then we'll grow up, and it tastes good too. God's Word is like steak, which fortifies our souls. One author said this, however, eating the solid food requires the hard work of chewing and digesting. We live in such a prepackaged microwave culture. We just want to grab and go all the time. But the Savior says, marinate in the Word of God, sit with me and know who I am. Solid food is for the mature. And if we're going to grow up, that means we've got to introduce solid food into our walk with Christ. There are no shortcuts to spiritual growth. There is no grab-and-go pro, grab protein shake, only hearing and internalizing and doing the Word and the will of God. Verse 14 
shows us the connection between the eating of solid food, the solid food of God's Word, and spiritual maturity. It is only by diving into God's Word that our spiritual instincts are trained to discern. Do you see it? Good from evil. The Bible is the story that reveals to us who God is so that we can know who He is and what the good is and then respond in whatever situation we find ourselves as God would. Do you see that word senses or instincts? Everybody's got a default setting. Your computer comes with default settings. And what God is saying is when the Spirit of God changes you, the way He rewires your default to be like God's default is through exposure consistently to the Word of God. you got to get a new default setting. And the only way you can get a new default setting is keep meditating on thinking about and hearing about the good God who saved you and all that He saved you from. Training our spiritual instincts by way of constant exposure to and consideration of the Word is the way we grow up into Christ the head. I was riding with, as many of you may know by now, we've had a lot of medical challenges in my family over the last week, and we've been bouncing back and forth between a hospital and, a, and my in-law's house and a rehab center, and it's just been a lot on our family, and, and I thank you for your prayers, and I ask that you would continue to pray for us. Um, but we were on the way, I think, back from the hospital on 581, and I was, trying to, I was meditating on this sermon, trying to figure out how I was going to explain what it's like to have your default settings re, rewired. And I'm, I'm driving, it's Interstate 581, I'm really hungry, and it's time to get home. And I get behind somebody who's going 37 miles an hour. And I just wanted, like, like anything, to get out of the line. But the, the next lane, everybody's driving the speed limit, or more, and I'm blocked in. And I'm going out of my mind been a long day and I said (laughs) my wife and kids are in the car (laughs) and I said Lord what are we going to do about this ungodly driving (laughs) and my son said my my son y'all pray for me Oh, man. I mean, his mind is unbelievable. There's like a 10-second delay, and then he goes, Hey, Dad, uh, they don't have driving in the Bible. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about, Dad? What is ungodly driving? How do you know it's ungodly? So I've been wandering around all week, wondering how am I going to illustrate to you how this principle works, that you meditate on who God is by hearing His Word and are able to discern good from evil. And that's straight up evil driving, going 37 miles an hour down 581. (laughs) And here's what I said to my son. I said, son, you're exactly right. The Bible does not have a verse about how fast you're supposed to drive, specifically, or, or what good driving is. But it does say that we should love our neighbor as ourselves, and that we should reflect the love of God for others. And when you're driving 37, when it's 55, and there's not an accident up ahead, that's ungodly driving because you're not loving all your neighbors behind you. <laughs> he sat there and thought about it, and he goes, I get it. How do we cultivate a conscience? How do we cultivate a default setting that knows what is 
good and glorifying to God in any circumstance, we've got to hear and hear and hear the Word of God. Discernment is like a theological grid or worldview that makes us instant, helps us make instant moral and theological judgments about whatever we face. It's only by constant exposure to God's Word that we develop those Christian reflexes to respond appropriately in the moment and become mature in Christ. And as we grow in God's Word, we will be better equipped to know and do the good. What we are comfortable seeing with our eyes, hearing with our ears, doing with our hands and feet is going to change over time as we know more who God is. How we respond to adversity and sorrow and disappointment is going to become more Christ-like as we hear the Word of God. And get this, how you respond will change, not because you're reading Leviticus and you have a code for every little thing that happens in life. It will change because you're feeding the Spirit of God who has made you a child of God. And as you do, you're so much more familiar with who God is, you just naturally default do what God would do. Living unapologetically and joyfully for Christ no matter what it costs you. So let me ask you this morning, what do you do if you're still trying to live on spiritual Slim Jims? What do you do if you're living a grab-and-grow grab Christianity, grab-and-go Christianity? There's three options I, I see in response to this sermon this morning. One, you might need the Spirit of God to show you that you aren't even saved yet. You might need to beg God to show you you're not even a child of God yet. And here's, why would you say that, Pastor? Here's why. The pool that I grew up going to, the kiddie pool, was not even connected to the big pool. It was a separate little pool. And if you're content to be in the kiddie pool your whole life with water wings on and you never want to get over to the deep end, you may not even be in the pool of God's salvation. Secondly, you might have just realized, no, I, I do belong to Jesus. I do love Jesus. And God has woken me up, which is what He wants to do. He just made me wake up this morning. And today is the day that I want to ask God to renew my passion for knowing Him and enjoying Him and delighting in Him and hearing His Word. I want to be regular in corporate worship. I want to get committed to a Sunday school class. I want to know how to read and meditate and memorize God's Word. I might put in a, a card in the bulletin that says... Uh, uh, from the pew rack next Sunday in the offering that says, I need help going deeper in the, in the things of God. Maybe today is the day that you come forward and say, God, I really want to know you. I don't want to be a baby anymore. I want to grow up in Christ. Today's the day. And finally, some of you might say, you know, I know the word. But I've gotten cold in my heart. Even though I know the Word, I've, I've become more of a know-it-all than one who's hungry for God. And I needed this message. Even though I feel like I'm mature and people would think I'm mature, I'm not a know-it-all. I'm just a sinner saved by grace, just like the baby who comes forward for the first time today. And I need God as much today as I've ever needed Him. And I just want to come, lay my life down here and say, God, before everybody, I need you. And when I come to your word, I want to come humbly as an act of a devotion because I am hungry for the things of God. So whatever you need this morning, we're going to invite our instrumentalists to come, our singers to come. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a last song and you have an opportunity to respond as God would lead you. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we need you. We bless your name this morning.
Rebuke isn't fun. Chastisement hurts. But you've already proven you loved us by coming for us. By leaving heaven on a rescue mission to die for us. By taking on our humanity so that we could be saved by your blood. So this morning, God, I pray you would move. I pray, God, as we're still at the top of 2020, that we would be resolved to be the people of God who want to know God by interacting with God in His Word. Help us to be people of Your book, people who radiate the glory of Christ wherever we go. God, move. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.